X-ray. Mutation. Radiation. Fukushima. Taboo. Carbon-free. Waste. Modern. Cancer treatment. SMRs. Radiotherapy. Power. Nuclear power. Nuclear power is associated with many elements of our lives. One of the most valuable aspects is the generation of low-carbon electricity. I'm Joanne Liu. And I am Miklos Gaspar. This is Nuclear Explained. Today, more than 400 nuclear power reactors around the world provide about 10% of global electricity and over a quarter of low-carbon electricity. These reactors tap into the nucleus of uranium and use it to generate energy. One pellet of uranium creates as much energy as one ton of coal, or 675 liters of oil, or 500 cubic meters of natural gas. And that's just a single uranium fuel pellet, about the size of your fingertip. In this episode of Nuclear Explained, we're going back to the basics of nuclear power to explain how nuclear reactors work and generate electricity. We also asked the experts, why are some countries shutting down nuclear power plants while others are constructing new ones? And what's the future of nuclear? To begin, I invited Helmut Beck. He is a retired professor of the Technical University of Vienna who specializes in nuclear engineering and reactor safety. He will give us a brief history of nuclear reactors. Looking at uh, the development of nuclear reactors, it started actually around 1938 when the nuclear fission process was detected in Germany by Professor Hanen Strassmann just uh, before World War II. And uh, the actual real first prototype or experimental reactor was set up by Enrico Fermi in the Manhattan Project. Uh, it was the so-called Chicago Pile 1. After World War II, when the development of reactors really started in many countries, the military realized that um, this nuclear is a source of long-term energy and therefore immediately applied these reactors for propulsion. There were many small demonstration reactors built in especially the United States, then Canada, then United Kingdom. Later on, around 1950 or 52, uh, the first reactor producing electricity was uh, EBR-2 in the United States, experimental breeder reactor. But in parallel, the first larger nuclear power plant was in the United Kingdom. It was Calderhall. And interestingly enough, this Calderhall reactor was inaugurated by Queen Elizabeth. And even before Calderhall, two years earlier in 1954, the small reactor in Obninsk near Moscow was the first to be connected to an electricity grid. And uh, then the power reactors went to a fast development for larger nuclear power plants. Can you tell us how a nuclear reactor generates power? Actually, a nuclear power plant is very similar to a coal-fired plant or a gas-fired plant where you, you boil the water, you produce steam, and you transfer it to the turbine generator. However, in a nuclear reactor, the origin of the heat is the fission process of the uranium in the fuel pellets. And due to this fission process, fission process takes place a million of million times per second. 
and therefore the uranium heats up to several hundred degrees. The fuel rods heat up and the energy from the fission process is then transferred to the surrounding coolant, uh, to the water, and ultimately producing steam to turn the turbine generator. So simply put, nuclear reactors boil water to produce steam that is then channeled to spin turbines to produce electricity. What are the main components of a nuclear reactor to facilitate this process and to do it safely? Of course, there is, uh, in these pressurized water reactors, the steam generators. There are usually four steam generators, very huge components, about 22 meters high. And inside the steam generator are U-tubes where the hot water passes through the tube, while on the outside is the secondary coolant, which is then transferred to the turbine generator. Steam is produced. So usually there are four steam generators. There are four pumps to pump around the primary through these uh, steam generators. Of course, a reactor must be kept under control. One very important component are the so-called control rods, which contain... uh, Neutron-absorbing material is usually, when the reactor shut down, these control rods are inserted in the core, so no fission can take place. And if you start up the reactor, you slowly remove the control rods out of the core. Around the reactor, you have the so-called containment. Very important because the containment is a very solid building structure which protects the reactor inside the containment from outside effects like earthquake or tornadoes or or floods or something like this. So it has double purpose, protect the reactor and protect the environment. What are the main types of reactors in use today? There are two major types of reactors called pressurized water reactor or boiling water reactor. In the pressurized water reactor, the water always stays liquid and is pumped along out from the core into a steam generator. In boiling water reactors, the pressure is lower and the water starts to evaporate in the pressure vessel and is directly transferred to the turbine generator to produce electricity. The dominating reactor worldwide is this pressurized water reactor with about uh, 70% of all power plants are pressurized water reactors. And what is the average lifespan of a nuclear reactor? Originally, the life, uh, technical lifetime of such reactors was 40 years. During this long period of operation, good experience was accumulated. In, in many cases, the operator asked the regulatory authority to extend the lifetime for 10 years or for 20 years. The new reactors like Generation 3 Plus, they are already designed for a lifetime of 60 years and potentially could even be 80 years. From each 
the, of these generations of reactors I mentioned, at every generation there was a, a feedback from the previous generation, similar like in cars. A car of today looks much different than a car of the 1970s or so. The same thing happens in all technology, also in nuclear technology, and uh, reactors today have an extremely high level of safety, of economy, that makes nuclear an important option for the future. You're listening to Nuclear Explained. Fueled by uranium, nuclear reactors produce electricity without greenhouse gas emissions. This differs from other power plants where coal, oil, or gas is burned. In the transition to clean energy, many countries are considering the role of nuclear. In this next segment, Miklos speaks with an expert at the IAEA to learn more about nuclear power and its future in energy production. My name is Aline Descloiseaux. I am a director of the nuclear power division inside the nuclear energy department. What makes nuclear special? How is it different and how is it similar to other sources of energy? Nuclear power is a very special source uh, of electricity because it does not emit uh, any CO2 during operation of the plant. It's uh, really comparable and even lower than renewable uh, source of energy. It's also special because it is a dispatchable and flexible source of energy. Renewable is uh, uh, CO2 very low emissions, but they only operate in average 30% of the time because of the sun, because of the wind. And so this uh, source of energy, they need uh, either storage or a stable uh, other source production. And if you look at what's available to them in the market, you have either fossil fuel or uh, nuclear energy. So you are saying it's the best of both worlds. It's low carbon. At the same time, it's, it's, it's stable. It does not depend on the weather. If nuclear is so perfect, why isn't the entire world just using nuclear? Why does nuclear only have a 10% share of global electricity production? Nuclear means um, quite uh, upfront investment uh, compared to other sources uh, of electricity, uh, which has uh, been not very competitive with fossil fuel uh, energy. Why? Because uh, the price of coal and because of the price of gas was uh, quite cheap. Now we see that gas prices are rising. Uh, it's uh, quite an issue in some countries. And uh, when you pay electricity from nuclear source, it's uh, stable. It's uh, over time because it doesn't really uh, depend on the price of fuel. So carbon pricing would probably make a difference and make nuclear more competitive. What are other ways that nuclear could become more cost competitive? Well, nuclear and this is what we look at when we uh, develop uh, small modular reactors, uh, would be more competitive with more standardization and series effect. The series effect means that the average cost of a series of standardized units is lower than that of a single unit. And small modular reactors, which are essentially miniaturized nuclear power plants, present standardized designs that can be factory assembled. This series effect existed 40 years ago when developed countries have installed the nuclear capacity, the existing ones. It has slowed down and now what we are looking at is to have this effect back again, plus the fact that 
we should also help newcomer countries to install their nuclear plants. So sometimes they have less needs of energy or they have smaller grid of electricity. So the small modular reactors is a way, a solution to this uh, issue and uh, is um, intended to really have more industrial manufacturing with smaller time of construction and that will have a, a positive effect on the cost. So how many countries use nuclear power and where are these countries? Today, there are uh, 32 countries with uh, installed nuclear capacity. So nuclear power provides 10% of electricity, but more than a quarter of low-carbon emission electricity. What we see is that uh, there will be a growing need of demand. Why? Because, uh, first of all, there are some countries where all population don't have access to electricity. And second, because the uses... The, the cases that we are looking at needs more electricity. When we speak, for example, about mobility, the motor cars are replaced more and more by electrical batteries. There are also uses of hydrogen to fuel big trucks or trains. So all these are new needs to replace the CO2 uh, emission uses today and that's why there will be more electricity demand and where we see that uh, the need for nuclear power plants will double. So you mentioned that 32 countries use nuclear power. You've also talked about the potential nuclear power has uh, as, as electricity demand grows. Are there several countries that are looking to deploy nuclear power? Yes, there are around 30 uh, countries that, are, uh, that show an interest in uh, developing nuclear energy. Turkey and Bangladesh are very, have very advanced projects. And uh, there are a few other ones with, uh, who have started also their projects. How does the IA support countries introducing nuclear power? We have um, developed a special approach, which we call the milestone approach. And we support the countries that uh, request the IAEA uh, help in assessing uh, the level of readiness according to certain phases. And we have defined uh, 19 domains where uh, we look at uh, the readiness level. So from uh, safety, from technology, from uh, human resources, uh, building capacities. How do you see the future of nuclear power? With the growing demand of electricity, um, we have a high case scenario where we double the capacity, so from 400 gigawatt to close to 800 gigawatt. That means that we have to install in the next 30 years more nuclear plants than in the past 50, 40 years because there is a replacement market. And in the lower case, because of this uh, replacement market, we still have to develop uh, new capacities. The installed capacity today was built a few decades ago, in average, and the lifetime of a nuclear power plant is around 60 years. And so that's why there would be this need of replacing the power plants that we shut down, that are being dismantled by new units. You're listening to Nuclear Explained. When it comes to nuclear power, it's a mixed reaction. Some countries have embraced it, while others have shied away from it. And from the outside in, that can look very confusing for, for people who aren't particularly familiar with, with the scene. It's not one picture, it is a mixed 
picture. This is Ben Hurd. He's a senior consultant at Fraser Nash Consultancy in Australia, specializing in the nuclear industry. Public opinion and governments alike are divided about the use of nuclear power. Here, he explains why some countries, like Germany and Spain, are phasing out nuclear power, while others, like China, France, and nuclear newcomer Bangladesh, are constructing new plants. We can look at different groupings of nations in terms of their nuclear policies and what their motivations are, what their challenges are, and what their opportunities are. And if we look at a country like um, you know, Bangladesh, we find many countries in what I would call you know, fast-growing, developing, or middle and upper middle income nations. And they are looking for energy sources that are uh, large scale, future proof against climate change policy with high reliability and stable costs. And then we've also, you know, got, we've got some countries that are sort of established nuclear uh, countries that are actually reaffirming their commitment to nuclear power. And there you've got the likes of France, the United Kingdom, Finland, Canada, because it's giving very, very low emission power. It's giving clean air, it's giving energy security and independence, and it's helping with, with net zero goals. And particularly with some of the geopolitical concerns at the moment, that energy security and independence is looking like a good bet. So all of that being the case, why on earth would there be some countries that, that are sort of acti actively closing down that sector? And ultimately, I can't sort of identify a, a really rational motivation for that. But some countries in the world appear to have been quite captured by a vision of, a, of an unproven ideal that the world uh, doesn't need that technology, that it's going to run really effectively with only a small number of technologies, chiefly wind and solar power. And ultimately, those countries are, are prepared to take the risk. What have they got in common? They're very well off already. They're very prosperous. They're very interconnected with large grids, so they can share the pain around by buying and selling power through transmission. Um, so this is a very privileged position. It's not impregnable to change. We have seen just recently that Belgium is now reconsidering its path in light of events in Europe because growing dependence on gas um, would not be a wise choice right now. You mentioned energy independence, energy security. If a country decides today to add to their nuclear capacity or use nuclear for the first time in order to become energy independent, it's a very long time before they can reap the benefits. Is that still a realistic plan? Well, certainly. I mean, it, it is an investment of time for a nation to put itself in a position where, where it can adopt this technology. And I do want to be cautious about my use of the term energy independence. There will always be a degree of interdependence and it is one of the strengths of the nuclear industry that, that uh, when a country adopts nuclear technology, it helps to globalise a country. Uh, you become active with uh, organisations like the IAEA, the World Associ Association of Nuclear Operators, uh, and, and other uh, international bodies. So there'll always be some interdependence there. And yes, there is an investment of time in upskilling a nation's regulatory um, infrastructure, workforce, skills, the standards for having a modern nuclear industry are high, and that takes time. But it's an asset that you've then got forever in perpetuity for that country. You achieve a new status in your energy portfolio that no one can take away from you. 
And the real benefit, uh, benefit of that independence uh, is that compared to particularly coal and gas, there is no pipeline that is required to fuel your power plant all day long. There is no conveyor belt of coal from a coal mine that needs to fire your power station all day long. Once a country has decided to introduce nuclear power for the first time, how long does it take for it to become a reality? I realise that there are many variables, but how long does it take from a decision to connecting to the grid? There's a, a really nice example there in the United Arab Emirates. Now, they made a, an informed policy choice. My memory might fail me a little bit, but between about 2007 and 2009. So an informed government policy choice that this was going to become part of their energy portfolio. As a matter of fact, the UAE connected their first two units to the grid in 2020 and 2021. So while that took some 12 years, the result after 12 years is really, really powerful. Now, there's going to be some variables in there. That's really quite a swift example of, of being able to go from a policy decision to electrons flowing in wires. It could take longer than that for a range of reasons. Um, how much um, does a nation have to invest and how quickly? Um, how quickly are they able to make a contractual decision on, on a technology? Um, what is the underlying infrastructure looking like? It's reasonable to think in terms of, of um, 10 to 15 years for new entrant nations, which if you think about it, it's less than one generation. Now, how could that be sped up again? Um, I am quite optimistic about the prospects of, of small modular reactors, which can trim that construction time and make it more like a manufacturing paradigm for more of the work and bring more fit-for-purpose technologies, and that can speed that up a little bit. You've made the case now for why nuclear is a good baseload source when we are moving towards net-zero emission goals. But some countries are saying that they can do it without nuclear. Do you think that's realistic? No, I don't. Um, I'm, I've researched this question quite extensively. It was even if we just looked at electricity, and we even if we just looked at today's electricity consumption in developed countries, only through hydroelectricity in some locations where it's plentiful have we got any proof um, that that amount of electricity at an acceptable price can be made with very, very low carbon. And hydroelectricity just uh, doesn't exist everywhere in the world. Um, aside from that, the, the paradigm of relying on, for example, wind power alone, solar power alone, and maybe maybe ocean or, or tidal or, or geothermal is, a, is an unproven pathway. On the other hand, we have seen absolute proof that you can decarbonize an entire developed country electricity supply or large regions of countries. So I think of Sweden, France, um, Ontario in Canada, with combinations of renewable electricity and nuclear power, it can clearly be done. But that's just the electricity. A lot of the energy consumption in the world today is not electricity, it's heat. And no matter how cheap uh, electricity becomes from a wind turbine or a solar panel, it's a very poor pathway for providing really large quantities of really reliable, low cost heat. Nuclear fission makes heat without greenhouse gas emissions. That's a huge advantage. Nuclear has its advantages. It's a source of clean and reliable energy. Nuclear also has its challenges. The deployment of nuclear reactors requires years of investment in infrastructure, technology, construction, and expertise. 
and the return comes years later. The IAEA is here to help countries that decide to use nuclear power to do it safely, securely, and effectively. There's a lot more to discover about nuclear reactors. We covered the basics of how nuclear reactors work. In the next episode, we'll talk about the innovative technologies that are reshaping nuclear power, including SMRs, small modular reactors. Thanks for listening to Nuclear Explained. Go to iaea.org forward slash podcasts for more information and resources related to this episode and more. Have a question or want to share feedback? Send us a voice recording or write to us at nuclearexplained at iaea.org. I'm Joanne Liu. And I am Miklos Gaspar. Thanks for joining us. You have been listening to Nuclear Explained.